Jewish audio on Chabad.org. So, Mordechai sends a message to Esther. The message was that this is your moment. You have to act now. You have to go to Achashverosh. You have to plead on behalf of the Jewish people. Esther is not very happy. The last pasuk we learned, Vayavah Hasach, Hasach came, Vayaged la Esther, Ace Devrei Mordechai, Hasach came, and he related all the words of Mordechai. The response. Vatemer Esther la Hasach. Esther says to Hasach, Vatetzavehu al Mordechai. She instructs him with regard to Mordechai. I'm actually going to read through the next two verses quickly, and then we're going to analyze these entire three verses as a, as a unit, as a set, because it's not, to properly understand it, you have to, you have to take a look at the whole response. So what's her response? Kolav de Hamelech v'am Medinas Hamelech. All of the servants of the king, all the nations of the king. Yehidim, everybody knows. Ashakolish v'isha that any man or woman, Ashayavel Hamelech, who comes to the king, Elachotzer Apnim is into his inner sanctum. Ashalei Yikorei, who has not been called, Achas Dasei Lahamis, he's taking his life into his own hands. That's it. Your head is off. Levad he save the one that the king will extend the, silver, the golden scepter to. V'cholya, and that person lives. I have not been called to the king. for thirty days already. They told Mordechai as divrei Esther. So there's a lot of things about these three verses that, on the surface, seem to make perfect sense, but when you actually start to think about it, they do not make sense at all. First of all. Why does Esther say, it says, V'toymer Esther lahasach. Esther tells Hasach, we learned this Daniel. And then it says, V'tetzavehu al-Mardachai. She gives him instructions regarding Mardachai. It's like two different things. What, what is the difference between what Esther said and what she instructed? That's question one. Question two, Esther makes this case that everybody knows what you're asking is impossible. Everybody knows. Well, obviously Mardachai knew that if everybody knows... He was a royal courtier. He was, he was a minister, parliamentarian. If everybody knows, if Kol Avde HaMelech know, if Ahmedinus HaMelech, everybody knows this, obviously Mordechai knows this too. And we know that Mordechai cares for Esther and is worried about her welfare. So if he told her to go and do this, then he obviously took that into account. So if he took it into account, so what is Esther telling him? What he knows already. And it's very long and circuitous over here. Everybody knows. That whoever's going to come to the king, what's the whole long description over here? She could just say, I'm not let her go. If I go, I get killed. And then, there's this business of, and I haven't been called for 30 days. What difference does that make? What difference is if you haven't been called for 30 days or 30 hours or 30 minutes? If you can't go without permission, you can't go without permission. What, what difference does it make if you haven't been called for how many days you haven't been called? And then in verse 12, it starts off with Esther talking to Hasach. She's commanding him with regard to, to, to Mordechai. When we come to verse 12, where the message actually gets delivered, it just says, Vayagidu. Vayagidu means plural. Vayagidu. They. They conveyed the message. They gave over the message to Mordechai. Who's they? I thought it was he. And why doesn't it say, Vayagid hasoch as the Mordechai? 
So these are the basic questions that we have about Esther's response. Something is missing over here, clearly. There's something more that would meet the eye. Especially the way the Ibn Ezra explains. The Am Medinas HaMelech. He says, not only the servants of the king, not only those who work in the palace, not only those who are familiar with the royal edict and the royal ethos of how the palace runs, but the Chol Am, the whole nation knows. As the Ibn Ezra says, Afilo Ha'am even, even the people know this. Even the ordinary people know this. Well, even the ordinary people know this. What was Mardukai thinking? So let's take it from the top. First of all, we have this business of Esther says to Hasach, and then afterwards she commands him with regard to Mordechai. Why, why the redundancy? So, in order to understand this, says the Alshech, you have to take a look at verse 12, which actually, that's why I pointed it out to you. What does it say in verse 12? In verse 12 it says, Vayagidu. It's, it's like other people. It's not Hasach. It says, Vayaged. It's Vayagidu. Who, who is this? So the Alshech tells us, our sages teach, Shahaman Harag Asasach. Haman saw stuff going on over here, and actually you find it in the Targum Sheni. It says, the Targum Sheni concludes his commentary on verse 10. Takef rugze de Haman, alui v'kotal yosei. Haman's anger flared. He saw messages flying between Hasach and between Esther. He was very nervous about protecting his decree, that nothing should get tampered with. And therefore, he had Haman, Haman, Haman had him killed. Well, if Haman had him killed, who gave the message to Mordechai then? So the Alshech says that we have a tradition that two malachim came. Michael and Gavriel. The malach of kindness, the malach of severity of judgment. And the Alshech goes on to prove all kinds of, uh, that, that's from the very na- nature of the word, of the way it's being said. Vayaged, this is indicative of, of a malach. I don't want to go into the details. So, Esther was really concerned about her response. She knew Mordechai would not be happy about her response. And she knew, she knew, she knew Mordechai knows what's going on. Mordechai knows the score. And he asked her to do this. She doesn't want to do it. So, so what's going to say? She has to, so she explains her position to Hasach, first of all. And Hasach is uncomfortable. He doesn't want to go back to Mordechai. So therefore, she says, listen, let me explain my position to you. She explained her position. And then she says, I command you as the queen, you must go to Mordechai. Hasach has no choice. He sets out to go to Mordechai. Unfortunately, the message never gets delivered by Hasach because Hasach or Daniel is murdered by Haman. Okay. Now the question, of course, becomes, what was her case? When it says, Vayaged Esther, Vayaged says the Ma'amloya is emphasizing this idea. It says, this is Lashen Koshekigid. This is like, Rockworm, a ringworm, a rockworm is like this hard, this hard kind of uh, a root, worm root or something. I forget the its translations. A very hard and bitter kind of of of, of root. So that's the idea of a yagid. She she forced him, and she said, "You have to go and you have to explain this to Mordechai." And so she was going to go and explain it. All right, and that's why Esther says, "Vayagid la Esther, Estivrei Mordechai." He's he's a uh, Pardon me. This is like the Vayagid Esther, the words of Esther. That's with, with the same kind of with the, with the harsh words. So now, verse ten. So Esther tells Hatsach and says the Mamloyes. First of all, 
Esther said, I don't think that Mordechai is playing this smart. You don't want to tangle with Haman. Why are you trying to fight with him? So this is an old fight. This goes back to the fight between Jacob and Esau. Yaakov took the blessings and he ran away from Esau. And he didn't, he didn't face him. So she says, why did Mordechai put me in this position? Why didn't he just bow? Why did he have to stick his foot out? Because his medrash that says that Haman had agreed to become Mordechai's slave. That's a long story which I'm not going to go into now. We talked about it a long time ago, many classes ago. And Mordechai would, in, would indicate that you're supposed to be my slave. And this would enrage Haman. Haman would get furious. She said, why did he do this for? Why couldn't he just bow or just run away? And when you see that the wicked person is being successful, so then you, you stay away from him. Why is Mordechai being so combative? Why is he going ahead and, and engaging with Haman? But the truth is at this point, this is it's a non-issue because the decree is out. And we explained previously why, why Mordechai didn't bow and what he was thinking, and what his methodology was. But at this point, it doesn't make a difference. At this point, the decree is there, and Mordechai is making these demands of Esther, so Esther is very uncomfortable. So she's like trying to throw it back on Mordechai. And she says, besides everything else, this, every, everything we're doing now is, 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 is going to be so dangerous. You're going to see my life is in danger in so many ways. And there's no, no compelling reason for me to do this right now. So why don't we just kind of just take a step back, why don't we cool the situation? And then, you know, remember Mordechai had to, to tore his clothing, ran in the street, he's, he's going crazy, Esther became so upset, so she said, well, just like, let's just tamp it down, let's calm down, let's relax, let's be level-headed, we will figure out what to do, we'll, 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 we'll deal with this. Now, Hasach heard Mordechai's angst, and he heard the, 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 the frustration, and the intensity of Mordechai's words, so he's very uncomfortable going back. So she says, She forces him. He has no choice. And as the Gemara says, the Gemara tells us that Hasach is very uncomfortable going back to Mordechai because he knows that the message he's going to deliver is not the message that Mordechai wants to hear. And, and according to some opinions, Hasach didn't get killed. He just found a way out of this. He says he, he, he didn't have anything good to say. And since he wasn't successful in his mission, and since Esther didn't want to listen, Hasach didn't want to be the one to deliver the message, so he found somebody else to deliver the message. But at any rate, whether we understand this to be, take that medrash literally, that Hasach was killed, or whether Hasach actually removed himself from the situation, clearly this was a, a, a very, very uncomfortable situation where Mordechai makes a demand, and Esther, for the first time in her life, says no. I'm not prepared to do this. The big question, of course, is, why not? What is the reasoning? Mordechai knows that you, you can't go to the king. He, he must be thinking something. Maybe ask him to explain it. Don't say no. She says no. So we have to take a look now at verse 11. Here, Esther explains herself. That's, that's just the simple meaning of verse 10. That's about Toymer Esther. That's about Tetzaveu. So what Esther says can be understood in a number of different ways. And in all likelihood, Esther was conveying multiple messages. And that's why the verse seems a little bit disjointed. Because there are a, there's a lot of things that are being conveyed. In the words of the Alshech, She sent him a message that could be understood in three different ways. Three, three different messages that was encoded in this, in, this, in this response. Number one, she said, There's no chance at successor. There's no, there's no, there's no, don't say, you, you know that if you come to the king and you do so without permission, you know what's going to happen. This is, this is well known. 
And she emphasizes, kol ish ve'isha. Any man and any woman. Any woman means even the king's wife. And furthermore, it's known to everybody. So if I'm doing this, I'm not only violating the king's will, I'm doing it in public. If I violate the king's will in public, I'm kind of flaunting my lack of respect. What's going to happen? What happened to the last wife who flaunted Achashverosh? Chalas, finished. So she says, what are you asking me to do? If this was a secret business, only you knew about it, you knew I can't go, and you're saying going anyway, fine. But you know what's going to happen here. She says, after all, this is something which is known to everybody. And since it's known to everybody, since it's kol avde hamelech, all the servants of the king, v'amedin is hamelech, like Ibn Ezra said, even the common folk know about it. Kol ish anybody, even his own wife. Ashriyavar lamelech, come over there, la yukare, achaz dasilohamis. So that's the first reason where Esther says it's not just a question, it's a dangerous thing to do. There is actually pe- precedent for this. And past precedent does not end well. That's why I ended up in this position to begin with. She says, because Vashti was eliminated for exactly that reason. So you want me to do that? That's number one. Number two, she says, and even if by some miracle, he's actually going to accept me. Because if you come to Ashulah Yikari when you're not called, Achaz Dasilohamas. Whoever the king has to actually extend his golden scepter, and then, then you can live. So Esther says, even if by some miracle he is going to extend the scepter, he's not going to fly into a rage and say, off with her head. Even so, I already have spent my brownie points. I saved my own life. So, like, you're putting me in a position, I have to go there, I'm risking my life, I'm supposed to be making a request. All I'm going to be able to request at the end of the day is my own life. I'm put in a position where my own life is imperiled. So what's the point? I, I don't I don't have any 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 political uh, capital to spend here. I don't I don't I don't have the ability to be able to make that request. Even if I manage to get in there, the request is done. That's number two. Number three, she says, I haven't been called thirty days anyway. I haven't been called thirty days. So he says, how many days do you think he's going to wait without me? We know that he's a sex maniac. It's thirty days already. Whatever, it'll be a little longer. It has to be today. So it'll be another week, two weeks, three weeks, whatever. He'll call me eventually. When he calls me, then I'm coming in with the upper hand. He called me, so I come in, then and then, and then I can negotiate. So Esther has three very good reasons. And that's what she says over here. She says, number one, everybody knows. So everybody knows that I'm violating the law, I'm finished. Number two, even if he does by some miracle save my life, are you ready? That's it. I saved my life already. I have nothing else to ask for. Number three, Lady Crazy, I haven't been called. It's not like I was there yesterday. It's been a while. Don't worry about it. Now all of a sudden, the whole long answer makes sense. The Ma'amalayas augments the words of the, of the Ashik in a very, very beautiful way. He says, let's take a look at that first thing where Esther says, everybody knows that you're not allowed to do this and I'm going to be killed. So the Ma'amalayas adds something. He says that it's not only just you're going to be killed. In Persia, there were certain laws there were certain laws that suspended the court process. So usually, when there's a question, somebody committed a crime, you have your day in court. You in court, bring your lawyer, you could argue your case, and then hopefully you'll be vindicated. But there were certain laws in Persia in which there was no court proceedings whatsoever. We're going to call it like, for example, today, a democracy. In theory, the head of government could, at a certain point, he could pull the plug on the regular freedoms, and he could say, now we're in a, um, 
what's the word for it? Um, you can impose martial law, state of emergency, and you can impose martial law, and at that point, all of the regular laws of the country are suspended. Right? That's what Hitler, Yomachshmei, did. Took over power, lit the Reichstag on fire, declared a state of emergency, and never undeclared it. It was a permanent state of emergency, so he became a full-on dictator. He was democratically elected, actually. So in Persia, you didn't have to officially put into a state of emergency. There were certain things for which the law did not begin. No court date, nothing to discuss. There's no investigation here. What's that? When you come and you penetrate the king's inner space, you're dead on the spot. End of story. So for example, and let's say in a modern day and age, if somebody rushes the president, I can guarantee you will be shot on the spot. I can also guarantee you there will be absolutely no investigation of police brutality. Nothing to talk about because they don't take any second chances over there. There's been enough presidents shot. So usually the police are answerable. And there are special units that investigate. And I can tell you from my own police involvement that the police live with this fear. It's, 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 a, it's a, you know, if you didn't follow protocol exactly, you can get yourself into very hot water. But there are certain areas where the Secret Service around the president, they don't care about those. They don't care about anything. All they care about, they have to keep the president alive, and that's all. So for Ahasuerus, if you, it's not even, it's not even like, a, like a Persian law. You penetrated his inner space, you're dead. There's no questions asked. Shoot first, ask questions later. No chakira, no drisha, achaz dasi lohamas. And now the Ma'amaloyas tells us something amazing, which he quotes the Targum. He says, do you know who put this law into place? Haman. Why did he put it into place? Because he didn't want anybody to come to the king to try to change his mind. Who did he think might come? He didn't know Esther's Jewish. Mordechai will come. Maybe Mordechai has some friends in parliament. He's well placed. He's got a political action committee. He'll get this minister, that minister. So Haman very cleverly arranged. Nobody's allowed to come to the king now. There's a, 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 a total blanket of, of security right now. Nobody's allowed to come in. You wanted to come in, you had to speak to Haman first. And Haman would then officially be able to grant permission somebody could or could not come into the king. Now why did Ahasuerus agree to this? Ahasuerus, the Medrash says, was concerned that Mordechai would come and would be asking about rebuilding the base of Megdash. And he's the one who stopped the building of the base of Megdash. And his plan was that once the Jewish people don't go back there and don't have a base of Megdash rebuilt, this is the end of the Jewish people. So he didn't know, supposedly, Right? We're not so sure he didn't know at all. He supposedly didn't know that there's going to be a genocide against the Jewish people. That was, that was Haman's plan. Haman got the ring. He said, he took off the ring. He said, do as you please. So Haman is the one officially, led, he wrote this legislation. Ahasuerus never saw the legislation. Well, if Ahasuerus never saw the legislation, why did he agree with Haman? Because he stopped the construction of the base on Migdash. And then he wore the clothing of the Kohen Gadol. And so Haman said to him, you know, they're going to come and lobby you, the Jews. All the Jewish lobbyists, the apex, are going to come soon, and they're going to lobby you to try to rebuild the base of Migdash. So here we're going to do, we're going to put a secretive blanket of security around you. You have to come through me. I'll deal with apex, he says. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of the action, the political action committees. I'll make sure nobody gets near you. Ahasuerus said, great. I don't want to have to deal with that. I don't have to answer. Yes, base of Migdash, no base of Migdash. So Haman had this brilliant strategy. Ahasuerus has agreed, but nobody's allowed to go near him. Now, what happens when you go into such a place is on the spot. The guards kill you, actually. Unless the king saves you. 
The king to actually save you. It's not that you come to the king and the king says, off with his head. You don't have a head to get close. Once you penetrate inner space, they shoot. So she's going to be dead. And even if she says, I managed to get through this, even if I do manage to get through the security ring, even they're afraid of me because I'm the queen, he knows now that I flaunted his law. I went through security. I made a fool out of him. Everybody knows nobody's allowed to come in. And I just I violated the law. So even if I do manage to make it through, she says, the king is going to be furious at me. And then, and she said, that Amleis explains the second reason. And even if I'm going to manage to get through, do you think that I'm going to be able to speak to him? Do you think I'm going to have any kind of opportunity to make any requests? I'm going to be thanking him. Thank you for, singing, for, 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 for extending your scepter. Thank you for not killing me. And lastly, lastly, she says, the truth is that the Gezerah was made, the decree came, and Yud Gimel Adr, 13th day of Adr, for next year. This is now a month later, it's Yud Gimel Nisan. It's the day before Erev Pesach. The decree is 11 months away. So what's the rush? We can do this later. Why do I have to break the law now? Why do I have to make issues now? After all, after 30 days, he's going to miss me. He's going to be yearning for me. He's going to call. Or, or Mam says, maybe the reasoning goes the other way. Maybe he's sick of me. Maybe he didn't see me for 30 days and didn't call for me. He actually is tired of me. He doesn't want to see me at all together. Either way, Esther says, either way, it's not a good idea for me to go now. We call in the language of the Gemara, Mimonavshach. Whichever which way you put it. If he likes me and didn't call me for 30 days, so what's the problem? I'm going to be up soon anyway. And if he doesn't, and that's why he's not calling me, so then how do you expect me to go and pull this off? He doesn't like me. He doesn't want to look at me. So Esther is living in mortal fear. And she says, this is a totally unreasonable request that you're making. And because it's a totally unreasonable request, she says to her, dear uncle, with all due respect, you're asking me to risk my life for no reason. There's no logic behind this. As the, as the Vilni Goren says, we're dealing with a few days over here. He says, I need crazy. He says, It's another few days. So why do I have to violate? What did I gain? What did he ask me to do? Risk your life to get there three days sooner? The whole thing doesn't make sense. This is Esther's response. Esther's afraid of Mordechai. She's really nervous about this. But her response is extremely logical. And, and, and lastly, before we go on to the next Pasuk and to see Mordechai's, how Mordechai responds to her afterwards, you should know that the Pashegen, or the, the Targum Sheni, says an incredible thing. Esther says, for 30 days I'm praying that he shouldn't call me because I don't want to be with him because it's a sin because I'm a Jewish woman I don't want to be with him. And she says, and I all this time when I was, I went under duress. And because I went under duress, so I wasn't considered to be doing an Aveda. Now she says, you want me to go willingly? And you ask me to dress provocatively? That means I'm actually bringing this on. If I bring this on, she says, you told me that if I go on my own, then I'm finished with the Jewish people. Then I can't go back to the Jewish people because I've officially abandoned the Jewish people. So you're asking me to go now? This is exactly the opposite of what you told me all along. All along you say, if he sues, then you have no choice. And now you want me to go? 
So this is the, what the Targum Sheni is talking about, is what we call Mesidus Nefesh Beruchnius. Esther says, I'm risking my life physically, materially, I'm going to get killed. And she says, on a spiritual level, you're asking me to risk my, my, my spirituality. You're asking me to risk doing a Veda, to do a sin. What for? Ah, you're going to ask the question, after all, this is a very good reason to do an Aveda. So like the, the Vilnagon says, who says, who says that you have to do an Aveda for somebody else? Do an Aveda. I, I have to do an Aveda. Somebody else should, somebody else behave foolishly. Somebody else in trouble. I have to do an Aveda now? Like, like why, how does this become my problem? How, how did this become my issue? This is what Esther says. So Mordechai's response is very, 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 very strong. And once Mordechai responds, Esther, as you'll see, is going to accept. What could Mordechai say that's so strong that Esther doesn't know already? Esther made a very compelling case to Mordechai that his request is simply unreasonable. So Mordechai says like this. They told Mordechai these words. Vayeme Mordechai. Mordechai says, Lahashiv el Esther, go back to Esther. And you tell her like this. Al tedami benafsheich, do not think for one moment, do not think for one moment that, that uh, you are going to be saving your own life. Lehimolid beis hamelech mikola yehudim, that you're going to be, you're safe, you're going to be separated from the rest of the Jewish people, and you're in the palace. So, what kind of harm could become you? Don't, don't not, do not think that you are safe. Don't think this is our problem, not your problem. And he goes further. I'm going to read the verses together and then we'll go over the verses one, one at a time. Says Mordechai, If you will be silent, at this moment, there will be help, there will be salvation, we'll find a way out of this. But you and your father's home will be lost. And who knows if this is the only reason for this moment that you even became queen altogether. That's the two sentences. The two sentences, that's Mordechai's response. And then we're going to see Esther responds and she accepts what Mordechai wants. So let's start from the top. Mordechai hears the words, the words of Esther. And Mordechai already sees that this is serious business. Hasach doesn't even make it according to the Medrash. Hasach gets killed. He's hearing from Allahim now. So Moshe Rabbeinu, pardon me, Mordechai knows now that, that the, the, uh, he, first of all, he sees that the hand of Hashem is at work because Hasach is killed and the Malachim come instead. So not only is he not weakened by Esther's words, his resolve is even strengthened by Esther's words. Like, why did Hasach have to die? So this is really very hard to understand. And the Ma'amloya says, Moises shal Hasach kapara ala shal Yisrael. Sometimes when Sadiqim die, that's an atonement for the Jewish people. So Mordechai understood Hasach's death to be an atonement for the Jewish people, even though it's a very difficult concept and has to be understood what that means. Why when a righteous person dies, that becomes an atonement. Hasach was like a, a sacrifice, if you will. And Malachim stepped in. So Mordechai is absolutely certain now that he's on the right track. And despite the fact that Esther's words seem very compelling and strong, Mordechai is not phased at all. And therefore, Mordechai responds, he, his, his response to Esther is even sharper than Esther's response. He says, you go back and you should tell Esther. Now, first of all, in the Pasuk, in the verse it says, Vayemer Mordechai, Lahoshiv el Esther, 
to return or retort to Esther. What does it mean, Lahashiv? You say, Esther, to tell Esther. What's Lahashiv? And then why did she say, two times? How many times could you be silent? You only be silent once, really. They tell a story once there was a fellow at the Fabrengen, a rabbi from Israel. And the Rebbe asked him to say a few words at the Fabrengen. So he didn't want to say a few words. He said to the Rebbe, he said that if you, if the Gemara says that you can, uh, that uh, silence is golden. The Gemara says, Mila, if you get paid a, a dollar a word, you get paid two dollars for being quiet. So the Rebbe said, you can only be quiet once. You can say many words. What's hachadesh tachadishi? How many, he says, if you'll be silent and silent, how many times could you be silent? Why is it double? And lastly, the Alshech asks, asks, why is Revach spelled without a Yud here? It's spelled Resh Vav Ches, which usually is how you spell the word Ruach. Ruach means spirit. Now, let's listen to this. And anyway, by, by one last thing. He said, what does it mean you, you and your father's house are going to die? Who, how did her father get mixed into this? Anyway, Esther's an orphan. But like, what's, what's the father's house? What, what does it have to do with anything? So the Ashok says like this. Mordechai responded with incredible force to Esther. Incredible force. And, and, and uh, because of this, by Yoyimah Mordechai, Mordechai says, Lahashiv Esther, they were very nervous to Malachim to say Esther's words. He says, you go right back and you tell Esther exactly what I said. Exactly as I said it. Do not try to sweeten my words. Do not try to, to soften my words. The full impact. Lahashiv as Esther, he says, return to Esther. He tells the Malachim, Hadvarim bidmusam vitzalman. Exactly what you heard here. Exactly what you heard. Do not soften or sweeten anything. What is exactly the words? Now, when he says, when he says, Lahashev as Esther, to return Esther, says the Alshech, he's alluding to something he had already told Esther previously. Namely, we learned in the previous class, when he sent the message, Asher Kodrohu, he told her the whole story. What's whole story? Everybody knows the story. He had told her the story of Elio Hanavi, the dream he had with Elio. And that Moshe Rabbeinu had promised that he was going to be Davenik. So, Mordechai is alluding to this again. This is not just, this is more than the sum of its parts. He says, you go back and you tell Esther, the whole, remind you the whole story. And the whole story is that Mordechai is, says, I am being impelled by Eliyahu Navi, who brings me a message that Moshe Rabbeinu himself is right now on the case. And so, if you will wait, if you're going to delay, and you're not going to do as I'm asking you, you should know that there will be help and assistance to the Jewish people. Who is Mimakim Acher? Where's the other place? Where's help going to come from? If Esther won't do it, who's going to do it? Exactly. Or He says, Ruach. Miruach Acher. From a different spirit. He says, remember, you're not in this alone. Moshe Rabbeinu is on the case. If you don't want to take, go ahead and move forward. So Ruach Acher, Moshe Rabbeinu from his place in Gan Eden will do what he has to do. Because Moshe Rabbeinu is davening and his between him and Mordechai, he knows the prayers are going to be heard. So he says, Macharesh Tacharishi. If you're going to be quiet now, after everything that you know, you know that the Jewish people are in danger. And you know that Moshe Rabbeinu is on the case. And you know that we have all the spiritual force and the power and that everybody's behind you. And nonetheless, you remind, you remain quiet. So he says, 
So then the ruach will come from a different place. They'll be they'll be helped from another way. However, however, you are the one who is going to be in trouble. What's ato beisavich? Says the alshech. You know why this happened? Because your great great grandfather Shaul Hamelach didn't finish off the enemy of the Jewish people. His name was Agag, and that's why he's called Haman Haagogi. So he says, now you have a second chance. You're here to redeem your family. You're right now on on the spot to take care of what Shaul didn't do. If you have to get Moshe Rabbeinu involved, if he has to figure out a way to deal with this, you will lose. And guess who else will lose? Shaul HaMelech will lose. This is his last chance at redemption. Because he's going to make up for something that wasn't done many, many years earlier. As the Mamloyez explains in greater detail, he says very, very clearly, he says that this is, you now have an opportunity to fix the mistakes of the past. You are not acting in, independent of what happened before. This, you have to understand that you exist on a continuum. And that Jewish history is riding upon you. And that your ancestry is riding upon you. And if you think that you're going to manage to save yourself, he says, and if you will save yourself, if you'll save yourself, you'll save yourself in a bodily sense. And he says, Al-Tadami Benafshech. Al-Tadami Benafshech doesn't just mean your life. He says, don't think you're going to save your soul. Even if your body is saved, he says, how long does the body last? So you last, whatever how long you live. You live 120 years, the body ends up in the ground. It ends up being earth. What lives on for eternity? The neshama. Al-Tadami Benafshech says, don't, don't, don't ruin your own neshama. You're going to lose your own soul over here. And he says, Im then means, if you're quiet, here, you'll have nothing to say there. Because we, we live here, but we really live there. So you're going to be quiet now, he says. If you'll be quiet, you will not have another chance to speak. Speak now. or forever hold your peace. He said, now is the time. Now is the time. And you should know that we will be successful. When he says, says, Mordechai says, don't worry, you will be successful. How am I so sure? What, how am I so sure? You don't see what's going on here? All of a sudden, Malachim showed up. Hasach is taken away. Malachim I hear. Moshe Rabbeinu said he was davening. That's not good enough for you. You have all your concerns, but remember, we're dealing with a much bigger picture. And because of the bigger picture, he says to her, you need to do what you got to do. And furthermore, you should know, says the Kisah Shleima, the Jewish people themselves are deserving of being saved. And they will be saved. However, the question is, will you be saved? Now, what does it mean? Of course she'll be saved. Why shouldn't she be saved? She's in the palace. So the Mepharshim say, Gavaldika thing. Hashem is going to save the Jewish people. How's it going to happen? Well, how did the last king fall? The last king, that was the Babylonian Empire. How did Belshazzar fall? The grandson of the Vukhadnezer. He was invaded by foreign kings. The little Persian upstart invaded the big Babylonian Empire. And guess what happened? It's not the Babylonian Empire. Instead, there's a Persian Empire now. And what happened to Belshazzar and his family? They were all massacred. Because when he says, when a foreign army is going to come, if they capture the king, who else do you think gets killed together with the king? Obviously the queen. So if Hashem has to overthrow the Persian Empire to save the Jewish people, that's going to happen. And if that happens, Esther's gone. 
He says, don't think you're safer. You're going to be in a much weaker position. If you do your part, and we go to the king, and we get into rescindus, then you save your life. Otherwise, he says, the Jewish people will be saved. You're the one who's not going to be saved. Talk about counterintuitive approach. It's a total reversal of the role. He says to Esther, you're not saving them, you're saving yourself. This is you. If you won't do this, there's going to be saving from somewhere else. But if the saving comes somewhere else, it's okay, it's a great saving. If it could be safer somewhere else, everything's fine. She says, no. If the saving comes somewhere else, it doesn't include you. So the only way that you're going to be saved is if you do this now. Furthermore, some, some even suggest, Ahasuerus was king over how many countries, how many provinces? 127. So he says, maybe there'll be a revolt. Maybe 125 or 126 provinces revolt against the one province of his home riding, so to speak. <laughs> you're, you're, the Shushan province will hold. And all the other countries will revolt. We think it can't happen. The head that the crown lies on and sits on easily. And if that happens, he says, who do you think they're going to take out first? They'll depose the king and they'll kill the queen immediately. So therefore, Mordechai says to her, you have to understand that if you're going to be quiet now, then you will forever be silent. You will be silenced. You will use. You will lose the whole shlichus, the whole purpose of your neshama. And now that we understand this in the pasuk, now let's go further. Now Mordechai says, Don't think you're going to be saved from Mikol If you'll be silent now in verse fourteen, at this moment, what's beis hazois? Beis hazois says the mamloyes. Now is the time. That is opportune. Now is the time that Hashem is giving us to make a difference. Why? Why did He push her? This moment. What's so opportune at this, about this moment? What's opportune about this moment is that Moshe Rabbeinu told, Marduk, told Eliyahu and Avi, as long as Mordechai does what he has to do, I'll do what I have to do. What did Mordechai have to do? He had to awaken the Jewish people to do tshuva. What did Mordechai do? He did it. Tore off his clothes, screaming in the street, the whole jazz. Okay, so he did it. Everybody was awakened. He inspired all the Jewish people. So Mordechai said, Now, now the iron is hot. Now you strike. This moment. He says, If you won't do it this moment, there'll be a Hatzalah from somewhere else. Something has to happen now. Because Mordechai is davening. I got a deal. Yohanavi is the middleman. He told me, Mordechai, Moshe Rabbeinu davens if I do my job. I brought the Jewish people to Chuba. Moshe Rabbeinu is doing his job. Now is the moment. And Mordechai knew that there is a decree in heaven, and this decree could be just taken away with tshuva and tefillah. So he says, okay, let's move forward. Mordechai knows when everybody davens together, that Hashem will certainly have to listen. And that's why he says, Im This is similar to the terminology we call eight ratzon. You ever hear that expression? Eight ratzon means it's a, it's a time of propitiation. It's a time of divine grace. Certain times, are eight, people say, eight ratzon to daven now. So, it's such a special time. Mordechai felt now is the time. This, this mass wave of tshuva, right now. We cannot put this off. We cannot wait till later. Furthermore, what day is it now? It's the 13th day of Nisan. What's the month of Nisan? It's Mitzrayim. He said Pesach's in two days. That's the greatest miracle of all time. God saved us from Mitzrayim. He said, like, we have to, now is the time to do this. I did everything that has to be done. Now is Pesach. This is the time when Hashem is going to save us. It's not an accident. It just happens to work out the way. Remember, Purim doesn't happen until afterwards. So others not like a Mazel month yet. We don't know what is a Mazel month. What's the Mazel month for the Jewish people? 
Nisan. And by the way, there are many Paschim of Saint Shulchan Aruch that the thing, this business of other having a special mazel actually goes from other into Nisan. It's not just other. It's other Nisan. Because Nisan is always a mazel. It's a month of redemption. And therefore, if so, how could you delay now? He delays, I don't know, maybe it's not a good thing, maybe he'll take my head off, maybe he won't be excited with me. Marcus said, this is, this is the moment. And he's absolutely, Mordechai is absolutely certain that things are going to work out. And because of this, because he's so certain things are going to work out, Mordechai says further, who knows, if it was this very moment he got Lamalchus. You, you feel secure that you're the queen. You're the queen now. Vashti was the queen before you. In a moment, you could not be the queen anymore. And then what will you say? Now is your moment. You're the queen now. Now is the Yisrael. I'm telling you this is the right time. I'm in touch with Eliyahu and Avi. I got Malachim back and forth over here. Now is the moment. The two Malachim went back, says the Mamlayas, and they told Esther these words. And Esther hears these words. So she responds. And we'll see, she, res- she, she responds affirmatively. Very affirmatively. She embraces the moment, and she, but, but she makes a condition as we are going to see. The Biri <laughs> suggests that Mordechai was afraid if they waited too long, the Jewish people would start giving up hope. He says, now they're inspired. I don't know if they'll be inspired tomorrow. <laughs> he says, we need to do this now. When the Jewish people are, 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 they have, there's a moment of tshuva, so now is the moment when we know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to save the Jewish people if only we do our part. And I'm going to conclude today's class with a, a, a beautiful rumination of the Rebbe. She gives us an overview on this whole business, the whole, the whole conversation, what Esther said, how Mordechai responded, and most importantly, how this speaks to us in our day and age. So Esther came back with very good reasons why she shouldn't go. Esther had logical reason. It made really good sense. This was not a good idea, Mordechai. It's cute, I understand you're excited, but this is not a good idea. And here's why, A, B, C, D. She gives them the reason. Okay. So what's Mordechai's response? Mordechai's response is, it doesn't matter all those reasons. It doesn't matter because everything that has happened has happened for you to do this. So all these reasons are irrelevant. You, this, this is your moment. You, you've, been, you've, been, you've been put in this place for exactly that reason. And the emphasis, the Mordechai's final argument is, who knows, who knows if this is the entire reason why you ended up in this position. So the thing is like this. If Mordechai is so sure that everything is going to work out, why does this have to go? Is that, is, that is really he came to be worried about Esther? Because he thinks Esther's going to get killed. That's why he came to tell Esther to go. It's very, very difficult to accept that. The Mordechai knew everything was going to work out. But the problem is, if plan A works out, Esther dies. So he came along and he said, Esther, let's activate plan B. Well, you should go to Achashverosh because if we have to go to plan A, that Achashverosh is overthrown, you're going to die. That's not the simple shot. The simple way of reading and understanding the Megillah is that Mordechai goes to Esther to do the job of saving the Jewish people. When she she's demurs and she, she, she declines, he says, you know, if you don't go ahead and do this, you might end up paying the ultimate price. But the question nonetheless remains, if Mordechai is so certain, why do you have to put Esther's life in danger? Why does she have to endanger herself? What's the issue? The mitzvahs, they make sense, a lot of them. A lot of mitzvahs make a lot of sense. 
Some mitzvahs make more sense, some mitzvahs make less sense. Mitzvahs make a lot of sense. The Rambam, the Rambam Maimonides, in the end of the laws of Tamura, he finishes off by saying that even though all of the statutes of the Torah are gzeda, it's a decree from Hashem, nonetheless, if we contemplate each one of them, you will find many reasons. And the Rambam says, Masha whenever you can find a reason for a mitzvah, ten lotam. You can find a reason, then give a reason. That's, there's nothing wrong. It's not a bad thing to have an intellectual or emotional appreciation for the virtue and the value of mitzvahs. So what about the idea of Nasev and Nishma? That when Moshe Rabbeinu came to the Jewish people and he said, God wants to know will you accept the Torah or not? And they said, we will obey, we will accept. It's not a contradiction. Nasa is the foundation. The foundation is we accept it whether we do understand it or we don't understand it. We don't say, let me analyze it. If I'll understand it, then I'll do the mitzvah. No, Nasa, we will do the mitzvah, we will obey. However, I'd like to understand this too. And, and like explains in, in, in many places, if I understand it, I feel good about it. So then I'm not just serving God robotically, but all of me gets involved. I get passionately engaged in my performance of mitzvahs. So in as much as the mitzvahs and reasons are not anthema, they fit together, it's like french fries and ketchup, mitzvahs make sense, and there's lots of benefits and fringe benefits to mitzvahs, it's all, it's all true. But at the end of the day, there is also this notion of something that we'll never understand. There's an element in mitzvahs that will always be beyond us. No matter how many reasons we have, no matter how clear it becomes to us, no matter which, which kind of terminology the Torah uses to describe, at the end, there's always going to be an element that's beyond our fathomability. All right, now let's take this idea and let's talk about the concept of a neshama's journey. Why does a soul have to leave the treasure troves of souls? Why does it have to leave heaven, if you will? Why does it have to get stuck living in the framework of a bodily reality? Who, who needs all this? If the whole purpose is to go to heaven, so stay in heaven. Most faith systems talk about heaven. If you come to earth, you can go to heaven. So stay in heaven. What's the point? Why do we have to come here all together? But you were in heaven already. So you have free choice. You go back to heaven. So you're right there in heaven. So what? You, what do you need to do mitzvahs? You're in heaven already. <laughs> if you do mitzvahs, you go to heaven. Say, I was already in heaven. <laughs> What's the problem? I have a better heaven. Oh, well, maybe. I, mean, I was happy with heaven before. Everything was fine. The Shammah's not unhappy. The Shammah's are very happy in heaven. What's, what's, what's the reason the Shammah has to come down there? The answer is that to, to a certain degree, we don't fully understand this, that Hashem has a mission for us and Hashem desires a dwelling place here and when we come here, we are working for God. If, if one approaches his or her faith and religion and observance as only what's in it for me, you will come up short. Because if it's about heaven, you could have stayed in heaven. So we, the Torah, Jewish, Jewish people, do not say this is all about my going to heaven. We say this is about God having desire. Hashem allowed us to be his partners. And that's the greatest reward that could possibly have. That Hashem says, you can be my partner in making a perfect world. The problem is, in order to be my partner, you have to go into a very heavy-duty set of circumstances. And it's going to be challenging and difficult and painful, but, but you can be my partner. So the Neshama says, I could be God's partner? Sign me up. Sign me up, I'm ready to go. And then all of a sudden, the Neshama gets a little closer, he gets cold feet, and then <laughs> it's too late. And then he says, no, 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 down you go. And the Neshama comes, and we forget about all the promises we made, and we end up dealing with the challenges of life. And sometimes we're so busy living, we forget why we're living all together. 
And this is, of course, the great big challenge to try to remember what we're doing here to begin with. Now, each and every one of us has, um, can we say, a logical path before us. The mitzvahs make sense. You do mitzvahs. This happens. That happens. This is all. And then there's a certain element of something which is called goral. Goral means like a lottery. So if somebody wins the lottery, you say, how come they won the lottery? I know why. Because they chose the best numbers. <laughs> no, that's ridiculous. You can't choose better numbers. How to, they, they had a talent to pick the right ticket. They picked, they picked the winning ticket. There's a person going to be talented. He's going to get it. the award. Talented person of the year award. Why? Because it was so brilliant, they knew how to pick the right ticket. No. It has nothing to do with rhyme and reason. Nothing to do with logic. It's what we call the luck of the draw. That's, that's the way it is. So there's a lot of things that we have to do in life, which Hashem says, this is what you have to do, what you have to do, and this is when you have to do it, and how you have to do it, and you have mitzvahs governing from when you wake up in the morning until you go to sleep at night. They're very nice. And then there's this concept of gor al Like we say, ashreinu matov chalkeinu, we say in Adavani every day. We thank Hashem, we say how fortunate we are for our portion, for our lot. And then we says, manoyim, how pleasant is goraleinu. Goraleinu comes to the word goral, which is connected to Purim, which is lottery. Our lot. Our lots meaning not our portion, but our lot like the lottery. And the Rebbe goes on to explain that every single neshama has a specific mission to perform here on earth. And we do not know why we have to perform that, that, that specific mission. It's not a logical thing. It's not necessarily because of something we earned or deserved. For whatever reason, only beknownst to the Creator Himself, there's a lottery. And in the lottery, everybody got a ticket. And the ticket you got has got your special mission. Now, obviously, you can't just say, okay, fine, I'll live a life of Riley. Call me when my special mission comes. I'll do it, and then I'll go back to just, no. You have to come to this world, and you have to study Torah, and you have to do mitzvahs. There's a general shlichut that we all have, and that's to try to live righteous lives, to try our best to live in accordance with the Torah. However, there is also a specific mission that every single one of us has. And that is why we must be so careful when we have a challenge, or we have an opportunity, especially if that's an opportunity of something only we could do. Because if only we could do it, Hashem is saying, hello, this may be the reason you came to planet Earth. Only you can do this. In other words, how does one know which mitzvah they should put the greatest emphasis in? This is an expression, the Gemara, the Gemara tells us a story in Shabbos, in Gemara in Shabbos, page 118, which mitzvah was your father most careful about? They said, this mitzvah, that mitzvah. So the question is asked, how does one know which mitzvah is their special mitzvah? And usually the answer is, the one that's really hard. <laughs> the one you really don't like to do. <laughs> Why? Because the Yetzirah knows he has to prevent you from fulfilling your mission. So I can let him do all the other mitzvahs. But the mitzvah that's really important, oh, we have to make sure he doesn't do this mitzvah. So that mitzvah, you'll have a real big challenge. The Baal Shem Tev once said, a neshama comes down to earth to fulfill, can come to earth and live 70, 80 years just to do a favor for another. 70, 80 years, a whole lifetime, just to do a favor for another. And you could be sure that when that moment comes to do that favor, you're not going to be happy to do it. It's not going to be easy. It's going to come very challenging to say, oh, hey, really? I have to do that? What is the, the, the purpose or the point of this all? The point is that Esther sends a message back to Mordechai. She says, what you're asking me is unreasonable. What you're asking me is not even logical. It's a huge sacrifice. It's a huge risk. I'm probably not going to succeed anyway. This is silly. Come on, it's, it's not logical. 
What does is, what is Mordechai respond? He doesn't argue about the details. He doesn't say to her, no, but you're the queen, so therefore they'll look the other way. He doesn't try to argue on a rational level. Esther's words are very rational. She gives him, here's the reasons I can go, A, B, C. What does Mordechai, he doesn't say, he doesn't ever answer her questions. He never says, yeah, but this reason you shouldn't worry about, I'll take care of this. And for this, he says, Al-Tadami benaf sheikh. don't think that you're going to save yourself. This is your moment in life. Everybody has a moment. And this is your moment where you can fulfill your personal destiny, your shlichot on the world. So what are you giving me? Reasons and excuses? So you write the book of 101 excuses why I didn't fulfill my mission on planet Earth. What's the bottom line? You didn't fulfill your mission. He says to Esther, if we have a circumstance like this, the whole Jewish people are slated for genocide. There is one person now in the world who has the opportunity to try to make a difference, and her name is Esther. It's got your name on it. You're the only one in the world right now. We have to work b'derechateva. We have to work in natural means. Oh, if Hashem has to do His things, Hashem will do His things. That's God's business. But we cannot say, oh, let God do it. You know, the Gemara in Saita says that before Mashiach will come, one of the bad signs will be, We have nobody to rely on but God Himself. So the Friedrich Rebbe once interpreted it a little interestingly. He said, it doesn't mean that things are so bad that we can't rely on anybody. Now we have it already. Nobody running for office in the States could rely on. We know that already. Okay, fine. But that's not, he says it means, what's the sign of Golos? And the people say, oh, I, I can't do anything. God will do. What do you mean God will do? You have to do. It's your job. I can't fix all the problems. Fix some problems. Like that, that, that famous, the famous words that the Rebbe told Rabbi Lau when he came, the, came for the first time after the Yom Kippur War. And Rabbi Lau says to the Rebbe, Eden fregen was it sein. Jews are asking, what's going to be? Very bad situation in Israel then. What does the Rebbe respond to him? Ayid freknish was it sein. A Jew doesn't say what's going to be. Ayid frekt. Was can ich tun? Now what's going to be? What can I do? You can't fix all the problems? You don't say. Okay, but what can you fix? What can you do? Not what you can't do. So Esther comes along and says, I can't, it's not a good idea. And she gives a whole song and dance of why she doesn't want to go do what Mordechai wants her to do. Mordechai says, you are the only one who can do this now. The moment is now and you are the one. You missed your opportunity, you missed. It's you, it's your father's house, it's the past. This is, this is the whole picture of everything happened to bring you to this moment. All of creation, trillions and trillions and trillions of details, all contributing to bring you to this particular moment. And now you have to do your deed. And you all of a sudden say you got cold feet? You got excuses? When Esther hears these words, all of a sudden she has an epiphany. She has a moment of clarity. This is not a question of a rhyme or reason. We're not going to argue. Discuss whether this is a good idea, not a good idea. How can we think of maybe a better idea? Mordecai says, now's the moment. So what's Esther's response? Esther, Esther responds very simply. She says, then go back and tell Mordecai. And what does she do? We'll learn this in Mertz Hashem. In the next class, she says, go, gather all the Jewish people together. Daven on my behalf. I believe in God. I believe in spirituality. I know, I know, I know. I will do what I have to do. You promised me to keep doing what you said you were going to do. And this, my dear friends, is a message that the Megillah broadcasts us each and every single year on Purim. That we have moments in life. Moments in life when you can make a difference. Maybe it's a global difference. Maybe it's a parochial difference. Maybe it's a tiny difference. 
Nobody knows which tiny difference will make all the difference. Nobody knows. You know, on Shabbos, I told that story of the Tzemach Tzedek when he went to visit these soldiers. And he said to the soldiers, they said, how do you polish your uniforms? So the soldiers, the Zaris, the Jewish soldiers said that we polish our buttons with, with, with water and sand. And they wanted to know how to polish the neshama. The Tzemach Tzedek should teach them how to polish the neshama. He said to them, but you say Tillim with tears, you polish your neshama. The tears are like the water, the, the words of Tillim, that's like the sand. What did the soldiers say back to the Tzemach Tzedek? He said, no, no. He says, Rebbe, when we go into battle, we go in with joy. We go in with a march, he said. A victorious kind of beat. And the Friedrich Rebbe said that from the moment that Tzemach Tzedek heard those words, the entire attitude and approach of the leaders of Chabad changed. And then think about that. That soldier said something casually. Could he have known that unknown soldier? Talk about the unknown. That un, could that unknown soldier have known that he would be the one to set into motion a movement, an attitude, an approach that would affect the lives of tens of millions of people around the world? And that moment he heard those words and his response is, no, we have to do it with Simcha. That Simach Tzedek changed the, the ground rules for Lubavitch. And he said, we're going to do this with joy. And that has become the moxie, the mantra. Ever, because one word that was uttered. Can anybody ever know the power of one word they're going to utter? Do you ever know with one little detail what that's going to make? So what do you have to know? You have to know that there's a Shulchan Aruch. And you have to know that there's a Mordechai Tzaddik. And we get instructions. And we're told to do certain things. And you have to do them right. And you never know what the result is going to be. And you also don't know why you were put on the face of earth. You fail your mission. You fail your moment. It's not just a moment. It's the moment. It's the defining moment. It's why you came here. Who knows? So it's interesting. The Rebbe points out that the word umi is the idea of goyrel. That's beyond mi idea, beyond knowledge. Goyrel is not what's not logical. Mi idea beyond knowledge. But on a simple level, mi idea, who knows? Nobody knows when their moment comes. Nobody knows when they have the chance to, so to speak, press the button. Nobody knows when their tiny act of goodness can make a world of difference. Like the Rambam says, that a person should always see himself and the whole world, he says, as if it were perfectly balanced scales. If you have perfectly balanced scales, the slightest amount of volume can weigh the scale down either way. So he says, if the world is ready for redemption, and at this moment, which you have no way of knowing, it's a perfectly balanced, and you did your mitzvah, Nobody knows, none of us know which one of us, whose mitzvah is going to be the one to weigh the scale down. Can you imagine? Maybe Yeshua of Atzala, you bring salvation, of the whole world. You change destiny forever. And nobody knows at any moment whose mitzvah is going to do that. On a simple level, who knows him at this very moment, that's why he got Lamalchus. That's why you were given the opportunity. You're a member of Mamlechat Kohen and Vigoy Kaddish. You're a member of a kingly people. Who knows why Hashem did this? Esther hears these words. She says, okay. In that case, now that you explain things, now that I realize this is not just a, 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 a detail, now that I realize this is the moment, a moment in destiny, Esther is prepared to do what has to be done. And as they say, the rest is history.